This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 74-inch. On this week's episode, we speak to Chris the Glove Taylor, who is not only a major part of the West Coast hip-hop scene in the 80s and beyond, he's noted for his scratching on Weird Al's original, This Is The Life. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al it's a podcast about Weird Al. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Oh, man. Dave, I'm still buzzing from all of the sugar we had at the 2,000-inch <laughs> ice cream social last week. That was so much fun. It was so great <laughs> to see all of our listeners, all of our friends, and hang around and eat ice cream for like an hour and a half. It was so awesome. <laughs> yeah, we were only intending to do half an hour, but people just wouldn't leave. So we stayed, and we <laughs> we kept going. And the most amazing thing, this was not planned there were exactly 27 people on the Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. It was meant to be it was. 27 people. <laughs> and like immediately 27 people, like right off the bat. <laughs> as soon as Frank posted the link to the ice cream social, like next thing we know, there were 27 people in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was making sure Frank was posting all the links, and I went back, and there's like all these people already. Like, Whoa! <laughs> now it was really awesome. Our good friend Kenneth Gwynup he wrote a very brief but very original song about the ice cream social, and he performed it with his accordion. And it was only like five or six seconds long, but it was one of my all-time favorite parts. <laughs> 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 that was so awesome thank you so much kenneth all right so ethan what is the verdict you tried rocky road ice cream for the very first time on our 2000 inch ice cream social what is the verdict <laughs> well i tried rocky road ice cream and, and just for people who may not know it is chocolate ice cream with marshmallow and almonds and i like all three of those things individually but Maybe it's not my first choice when it comes to ice cream, but, you know, if I'm hungry or I want a sweet treat and that's all that's available, I won't be complaining. It, it was good, but I just don't really go for the chocolate ice cream when given the choice. What are your thoughts about actually having almonds and nuts in ice cream? I'm not a big fan, personally. Yeah, I, you know, really would rather not have them. <laughs> I'd rather not have them, but... <laughs> You know, it it really depends. It really depends. I really like pistachio ice cream, but if I'm having a nice chocolate marshmallow ice cream, I don't think I would prefer the nuts in there. Well, you were not alone in eating Rocky Road ice cream. I also had Rocky Road ice cream, as well as many of our other guests. They, they actually had Rocky Road ice cream as well. So you were not alone in trying <laughs> it. And I think the verdict was like, I'm kind of think on your camp on this Rocky Road ice cream. I'm not a big fan of chocolate. The nuts in the, the actual ice cream, I could do without those. I love marshmallows. So, yeah, put as much of those as you want in, <laughs> in my ice cream. But, you know, other than that, I'll eat it if it's there. But I would prefer some other right. stuff as well. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. Now, unfortunately, none of the 27 people tried Thai tea ice cream, which was the favorite of our guest last week, Drawer Soroff. Yes, the director to the I Love Rocky Road music video, who, as far as we know, has not tried Rocky Road ice cream yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, we were in touch with him over the weekend, and that photo that Bermuda sent us that we assumed was the photo he received from Al 
was actually not the photo. There's a different photo that he received the inscription and autograph from Al. And we will post it over on our Facebook group so you guys can check it out. But I think what's most amazing, Dave, is Al signed it Al Yankovic, not Weird Al Yankovic. And I noted to Drawer how I'm sure he knows how special that autograph is, but it's even more special that it's an Al Yankovic autograph. It was really pretty cool to get to see, you know, just an Al Yankovic autograph because those are pretty rare. When we go post that picture over in our Facebook group, check it out and let us know what you think about, you know, seeing Al Yankovic as the autograph and Al's uh, penmanship as well. Of course. (laughs) Now, in speaking with Bermuda, he was so surprised that we got in touch with him because he was actually trying to get in touch with Drawer when he was writing his new book. So he said he should have asked us for help. Yes, Bermuda, we would have been more than happy to help you. (laughs) (laughs) If you're looking to track down anyone else in Weird Al history, just give us a call. We're glad to put you in touch with them. (laughs) Now, back to the Ice Cream Social, we also had a number of previous guests show up. You know, some people had just been on the Spatula Hotline or they had been on bonus episodes. And we actually had Summer Woods, who was our surprise guest on last week's episode, show up at the Ice Cream Social. Summer mentioned that she's working on some more songs, and I'm pretty sure they're going to be Weird Al related. So we're really excited for those, and we will let you know when they are available. We had another awesome previous musical guest join us at the Ice Cream Social. It was Chad Kelson, a.k.a. Metal Al. Yeah, Metal Al let us know that his brand new album, Straight Out of Hell, which is coming out on Friday, October 2nd, is going to include many different new Weird Al songs set to heavy metal music. Now, he let us know what some of the songs' names were on the Ice Cream Social, and we're really excited because we have a clip from his brand new song, Pancreas, and we're going to play it for you right now. Man, I cannot wait for this whole album, Dave. I love all of Metal Al's stuff. It is just so awesome. I especially love the cover of our theme song he did. But be sure to check out his first two albums at metalal.bandcamp.com. And then starting on Friday, October 2nd, you can get this brand new album, Street Out of Hell, featuring Pancreas, I'll Be Mellow When I'm Dead, and so many awesome other Weird Al covers. Very cool. Very cool. We got a lot of great feedback about our ice cream social and we actually want to do a couple more video meetups. You know, some upcoming ideas we have. We're going to have Stump Dave and Ethan where you guys come up with trivia questions and try to stump the two trivia masters. (laughs) We're tossing around the idea of having a costume contest, maybe playing some Jackbox. So be sure to join our Facebook group, group group.2000inch.com so you do not miss any of those announcements because we're not going to always have time to announce them on the podcast so check it out for the latest news group.2000inch.com 
Yes, and as we mentioned in our Instagram live last week and during the Ice Cream Social, we have those really cool Patreon exclusives. Today, the day this episode, episode 74-inch drops, September 30th, is the last day to sign up for the $5 and above Patreon level to get all of the amazing exclusives including the stickers the postcard the magnet all that stuff today is your last day and if you do hear this late and you miss out don't worry we have other cool exclusives coming soon to patreon.com slash 2000 inch so another thing that happened at the 2000 inch ice cream social is that a weird al super fan who will be familiar to you guys as listeners of the podcast jeff mcclellan told us that he's working on a 27th anniversary issue of the midnight star fanzine yes it is coming later this year and we're going to share more information as it becomes available including how you can get your hands on a physical version of this special issue and of course an issue of the midnight star would not be complete without some contributions from Dave and Ethan so you're going to want to check those out and we know you're going to love what we submitted to the Midnight Star 27th anniversary issue something really cool showed up in the mail this week so our friend and amazing artist Jorge Uribe has sent us each a print of his incredibly cool drawing featuring 35 different depictions of Weird Al If you have not seen his amazing drawing, we posted it over on our Facebook group, group group.2000inch.com, the other week. Plus, you can see it on his Instagram page by visiting Instagram.com slash Captain underscore Marvelous. Dave, you'll love this. Jorge also co-wrote and illustrated a book called Pro Animal Wrestling, which reads like a beginner's guide for someone who wants to learn about professional wrestling, plus inside jokes if you're already an expert. Maybe I need this so I can understand what you're talking about sometimes. (laughs) Pro Animal Wrestling, huh? Okay, interesting. So do you think it focuses specifically on wrestlers nicknamed the animal, you know, like George the Animal Steel, the Animal Batista, or Road Warrior Animal? who sadly passed away last week? Or do you think it's inclusive of all animals like Junkyard Dog, the British Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid, and Jake the Snake Roberts, to name but a few? Yeah, exactly my point, Dave. If you're interested in reading Pro Animal Wrestling or you want to purchase copies to give as gifts, it's only $15. That includes the shipping. So you just Venmo $15 to at jorge Uribe. Dash 17. That's J O R G E dash U R I B E dash 17 on Venmo. So be sure to check out Jorge's amazing artwork on Instagram at Captain underscore Marvelous, Captain Marveloso on Facebook, and at Capt underscore Marvelous on Twitter. Thanks again for the amazing prints, Jorge. We're very excited to add these to our collections. Some really exciting news. This past week, our guests from episode 28-inch, The Gregory Brothers, posted a photo on their Twitter page of Weird Al posing with them on a video screen. Now, if you look at Al's wardrobe, it's very similar to what he wore when he sang and starred in their video for the Trump-Hillary debate in 2016. However, if you look closely, Al is wearing a 
different tie, which leads us to believe that there may be at least one new video coming out where Al returns to moderate a songified version of a presidential debate. Now, we reached out to the Gregory brothers for comment, and they replied to us just with a gif of Weird Al wearing this new tie with flames all around him and the caption, despite, you know, things... Very mysterious. As we know from our interview with them on episode 28-inch, they had Al pre-record the questions in advance and were up all night on the night of the debate matching Al's pre-recorded questions to their songified answers. So now the only question that remains is, will we be getting another songified debate song featuring Al? Well, based on the evidence, it seems likely, Dave, but as of this recording, nothing yet has dropped. But stay tuned to our social media profiles at 2000inch, as you always do, for any and all updates. Well, speaking of updates on previous guests, episode one-inch guest, Weird Al's longtime guitarist, the Grammy-nominated slacky guitar player, and official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast theme songwriter, Jim Kimo West, is featured on a brand new single, which just came out yesterday, Tuesday, September 29th. It's called Sunshine, and is by Jim Davis, who's also known by the name Suburbanoid. Sunshine can be purchased online at Suburbanoid.com as well as major online music stores. Cannot wait to check that out. Speaking of websites that feature music, you might have thought that we were done, and we thought we were done, but no, we cannot get enough of ShakeWell.com. S-H-A-K-E-W-E-L-L-E dot C-O-M. It's back. I wanted to talk about the STEMS page. Yes, the STEMS page. You know about the STEMS page on ShakeWell.com, S-H-A-K-E-W-E-L-L-E dot C-O-M-2? Of course. All right, ready? On three. What is your favorite STEM? One, two, three. In meantime, drums. Oh, we can't get enough of that ShakeWell.com. Go on over to ShakeWell.com, S-H-A-K-E-W-E-L-L-E dot C-O-M, and let us know what your favorite stems are. Now, just this past week, our old friend John Bermuda Schwartz has been up to his old antics again, and he's been posting some brand new teaser videos for his brand new book, Black and White and Weird All Over. Yeah, there were two teaser videos that came out recently. The first one is him actually getting a copy of his book, so... We know that the book actually physically exists because he got a (laughs) copy mailed to him. He filmed himself opening up the book and seeing it for the very first time. It's a pretty short video, but it's pretty exciting to get to see the book. And he did show off a couple little features. He showed off the inside of the front cover and the back cover, which are made up to look like accordions. And they look so awesome. Yes. And so then he posted a second video where it's him actually flipping through the book and showing off pictures. And Dave, I didn't even watch it. I do not want spoilers. I want (laughs) to see the book myself. Then I'm going to go back and watch this video. Did you watch it? Of course I watched it. I try to soak up as much Weird Al and John Bermuda Schwartz information as I can, as soon as I can get it. (laughs) I'm not going to spoil any of the pictures for you, but there were some really cool pictures that he showed. And I don't think this is a spoiler, but, you know, he showed us pictures of past guests of ours, Jimmy Z. Zavala and Lisa Popeil, as well as pictures of Dr. Demento, Jim Kimo West, and of course Bermuda too. And he even showed us that picture that Beefalo Bill Burke took of him taking a picture of Al. 
Dave, spoilers! <laughs> no, those aren't spoilers. He talked about all that information when we talked to him about it on the podcast. No, I didn't listen to that episode. I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to stay spoiler-free, Dave. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you something else, which I don't think is a spoiler. We got to see, actually, pictures from the I Love Rocky Road music video as well, which was directed by last week's guest, Drawer Soroff. And not only did we get to see those amazing pictures from the set of the I Love Rocky Road music video, we got to see pictures from all the music videos that were covered by the span of Bermuda's book. So I don't know why you don't want to see the pictures, Ethan, but if any of our listeners do want to see them, you can head on over to Bermuda's social media pages or blackandwhiteandweird.com and you can check out these teaser videos. It's not that I don't want to see the photos. I just want to see them for the first time in one of the 27 books that I ordered. Well, if you still have not ordered your 27 copies of Black and White and Weird all over yet, you can head on over to blackandwhiteandweird.com and pre-order the book between now and October 27th because it comes out on October 27th. So if you buy it after October 27th, it will no longer be a pre-order. Technically the truth. <laughs> In our never-ending effort to track down and chat with everyone who has ever worked with Weird Al, we knew we had to have our next guest on the second we saw his name in the Dare to be Stupid liner notes. Dave and I are absolutely thrilled to be joined by a hip-hop legend who's worked with everyone from Dr. Dre to Snoop Dogg to Ice-T to Weird Al Yankovic. Please welcome Chris the Glove Taylor. How's it going, the Glove? <laughs> How you doing, man? You can just call me Glove. You glove, know. okay. The glove is a little formal. <laughs> Mr. The Glove. How you, you doing, Mr. The Glove? <laughs> yeah. So is that your preference is to be called the Glove? Uh, no, just Glove. Just, cool. just Glove, okay. Glove. Mm -hmm. How did you glove. get that nickname, Glove? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? It's an interesting story. So the way that happened is there was a club in Los Angeles here back in like 19, uh, let's say, 83. And uh, it had just started, and it was like uh, the guy I was delivering uh, equipment for, since I was a kind of house party DJ, mm -hmm. I would deliver equipment on the weekends for these little mobile clubs so I could get free gear for my house parties and, you know, make a little money. So... Mm -hmm. uh my buddy, my boss is like, man, you should take, but when you go drop this stuff off, tell these guys you're a DJ. I think it's your kind of thing. So I was like, okay, cool. So I go over here and I drop off these, uh, put the speakers and I have these gigantic gloves that I wear because I, I, I since I'm a DJ, man, I'm like hypersensitive to getting my fingers smashed by certain Vegas speakers. <laughs> so they have these metal corners, man, that are like death to your fingers and thumbs so i used to wear these giant they were actually gardening gloves they were really big and <laughs> like imagine they were oversized right i was not playing so, i'm picturing like mickey mouse like those big yeah exactly <laughs> i pull up in there i'm standing there and they're like so i got these gloves on and they're like i didn't even never think about it like this but they're looking at me I'm six foot six and I got these gloves. I'm like a hundred pounds. I'm skinny as hell, right? <laughs> so I'm standing there with these giant gloves looking like Mickey Mouse. And they're like, so uh, we hear you're a DJ. I said, yeah, man, I'm I'm a bad DJ. The best DJ, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Cross my arms, you know, hip hop, big boy, B-boy. <laughs> the guy goes, okay, bad DJ. What's your DJ name? I said, hmm, DJ Chris. And I looked at him like, you know, 
It took years to come up with that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, I tell you what, when you come back, we'll have a name for you. It'll be up on the marquee, and you start at 11. I was like, cool. So, you know, I got there. I came back at 11. I set up. It said, the glove, 11 p.m. So I went up there and started DJing. And it could have been a dude in the bathroom going, wait. I'm the glove. What is this dude doing? <laughs> but but uh, I heard Ice T. Ice T told. Uh, let me see. It was the one of the club owners, uh, AJ? He told Ice T. They called me the glove because I had on. Uh, what did he say? Because I had those big ass gloves on. He said, "You the glove." You <laughs> told the same story. It was hilarious. I, you know, that's what they did. They saw those gloves. Wow. And like all they saw was those gloves. Like this dude here. Is tripping. <laughs> I got another footnote to that. So, as soon as I started working there, this is 1983, the beginning of 83. So, as soon as I started DJing, uh, you know, uh, we have all kinds of celebrity people that come to this club radio. I'm starting to find out Sting is there, Quincy Jones is there, with Natasha Kinski when they were going out, and Madonna was just coming up with her boyfriend, Jelly Bean, and Michael Jackson, and you know, Prince, and did I say Michael Jackson? Yes, I did. <laughs> so when Michael Jackson shows up and the guy DJing is wearing a after-ski glove. So if anybody knows what an after-ski glove, if you ski, back in the 80s, you would have to wear your snow, your snow glove and a glove in between like a liner. The liner glove was like you could take off the big glove and grab stuff without touching the snow with your skin and put it back on. Mm, okay. So those always had little pieces of metal. They were metallic. If you look at Michael Jackson, the glove he wears, it's exactly the same thing that I was wearing. And he saw me wearing it before the 25th. That's where he got it from. Oh. And then they start calling Gary Payton the glove, too. Both of those guys got to pay. <laughs> Mike, but you, oh, you know where it came from. They know, too. They'll tell you if you ask them, like, man, look. I got a buddy that used to go out with these three chicks, right? Now, check this out. This guy used to work for Prince. He dated Carmen Electra, Apollonia, and Vanity. Prince seen all of them with him first. <laughs> Just so you know. Yeah. Uh, these guys out here, they be from Minnesota, Minnesota, wherever the hell he was from. Michael Jackson from Gary, Indiana. They don't got no swag. They don't what? <laughs> I'm from L.A. I was born on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> swag City. I mean, I'm just thinking about like Michael Jackson's gloves have sold an auction for hundreds of thousands of dollars. You should totally have a piece of that. Right. <laughs> That's the gloves. I should own the name of that. You should. Like, that should be Michael Jackson's Chris the Glove. That's what it should be called. <laughs> he wears. You know, because I mean, man, dude, talk about jackers. Man, these guys, bro, they take your, they see you and. They get up and, and then it's really like, first off, it's like kind of like a compliment because they do it because it's cool. Right. Next thing you know, they're known for doing it. And it's like, wait a minute. They're known for doing it. That's cold. Right. <laughs> right. Now people are looking at you like, oh, you're trying to do the Michael Jackson thing. Yo, look at you trying to be like Michael Jackson, little DJ guy. I got that so much, man. I used to crack up. Oh man! <laughs> yeah. And so, tell me about you know DJing and scratching. Is it typical for people to wear gloves, or was that just something you did because your name was the glove? Well, when I went in there and they said you're the glove, 
I figured I had to get. So they said Batman. I had to go get a bat suit. <laughs> <laughs> I went and got a glove and started wearing it. Like instantly. Like I think I might have had an after ski glove in my car. That's why I used it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I could be the glove right now. <laughs> go grab it. You know. And that's what happened. And then this dude, Michael Jackson, dude, comes around a year later fighting my style. And see, if he was a hip-hop dude, he would have got beat up because he's not fresh. You can't be biting styles in hip-hop views. That's a problem. Right. It'd yeah. be a dude. It wouldn't even be me. It'd be another dude from the hood. Like, that's glove over there. <laughs> yeah. you, you tripping, little homie. I don't care if you is Michael Jackson and pat his pockets. You know, I know these dudes. They do that. That's where I grew up. <laughs> so how are you guys doing? We're great. This is so much fun. Already so much fun. <laughs> I try to do that for people. Lighten the load of COVIDness. That's right. Now, we want to talk about your experience with Weird Al, but I think before we get to that, we got to start with your role in Breaking. <laughs> that was so cool, man. I mean, the way it came about. So these producers, like I was telling you, these the crowd of people are coming there. So the types of people are coming there, you know, you got the, the so wherever the talent goes, they talk about it. And then the production, you know, the upper higher ups hear about it. That's how they get hit. Right. You know, the cats that actually be on the street go talk about it in the by the lunchroom. And then the producers go, oh, we should check this out. We're trying to write a movie. So <laughs> they come to our club. So check now. Imagine this. This is a breakdance scene in the in the eighties. It's new. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows anybody that does this. It's like legend, almost. You know what I'm saying? You're a breakdancer. Oh my God, let me see you breakdance, type thing. So <laughs> now remember, these guys are making a movie. They walk in there. They see breakdancers, DJs, or MC on the microphone. They're like, holy cow, the movie is right here. All we got to do is make some dialogue to match this, and we're done. <laughs> they ain't got to get no extras, no teach dudes. They got to teach how to dance. You got to, you know, you get actors and teach them how to do this. They even made her. It was like, so, Lucinda, do you do any type of dancing? She was like, well, I did a little ballet when I was a kid. Perfect. Put the ballet in. She didn't even have to learn how to do this. They hired everybody was an expert. At extra prices, all right? That's what happened with Breaking. They walked in on a built thing. So it was called Club Radio back in 1980. Uh, I think it started in 82. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got there in about 83. And, you know, we, me and Ice, we just housed that place. <laughs> and it was ours. It was people, people think Ice-T owned it. I heard that in an interview. Like, did you own he was like, hell no. Nah. When I got there, Glove was already there. <laughs> I was like, that's funny. I don't want it. <laughs> don't try that. So the whole thing was, it was ready built. So breaking the two main scenes, you know, they had us play ourselves. The, the main club scenes, was like two or three main scenes of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the other stuff was, you know, those guys acting and those entertaining. But yeah, that's how we got in, man. And and then the music was a whole other story. How I, you know, how I did the song Reckless and Ice T ended up rapping, and 
We ended up making a record. We hadn't made a record. <laughs> we was DJing at a club. Right. <laughs> you know? My girlfriend at the time was like, hey, she overheard the producers one time at lunch when we were filming. Mm-hmm. And they were like, man, we need to go call Africa Bambata and hire some of the guys that make this music so we can get that going. And she's like, I overheard them talking about music and you just bought a drum machine yesterday. Yesterday, bro. Right? <laughs> she says, don't tell them you do the music. I was like, they will not believe. I'm now, background on me, I played an organ and I'm just now programming the drum, okay? In 1983, that was not qualifications of the hip-hop producer. <laughs> so I was like... No, she's like, do it. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I told the guy, like, hey man, you know, shoot, we make all this music. You know, we just play these records. But, you know, we got records and stuff, man. You know, shoot, man. You know, and then he was like, okay, you're hired. How six thousand? <laughs> I'm like, perfect, man. Thank you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway. You know, that was like, needless to say, the royalties off of that was like the biggest thing I ever seen, biggest check I ever got in my life at one time. Wow. The royalty check. <laughs> Forget oh, about yeah. the money you got paying the thing. That, that, man, so it's a different royalty for music in films that uh, play overseas. You get like 25 cents a spin. It's a bananas amount of money. It's wow. like five times what you get in the radio. Wow. In the theaters. Yeah. So it's like, yahoo. <laughs> so... Yeah, that was fun. And then I turned 22. <laughs> like, so what else is there? Shaka Khan comes with a video. Okay, I'm going to do that. And then uh, I was in the I Feel For You video, which was number one at the same time as the movie. So that was cool. And then I was like, what else you got? And I was like, there's nothing else really cracking. So I just, I started actually DJing on records, which segues right into what we're talking about. That's but right before I produced, I played... I did work for Benny Medina, um, Lowell Silas Jr., rest in peace, who was a great producer, one of the guys who came with Bobby Brown's album, uh, Babyface, uh, Quincy Jones, and Weird Al Yankovic. It's <laughs> <laughs> a name of few. So how did you get hired for Weird Al's song? Now that, like, I can remember everybody almost story about how I got hired for the gig that I did. But that one... I don't know, bro. I just remember that somebody must have called me and booked me for a session. And I go in here and Weird Al is there and <laughs> he's a star. You know, I'm on the, this is like, I'm used to going to the studio with these guys and I see Weird Al. I'm like, oh, let's go again. The other day it was Quincy Jones. It was this guy, that guy. Now it's Weird Al. So <laughs> what I did was he had kind of an idea, I think, of what he kind of wanted to do. But I normally just pull out records and do it. So I'm pretty sure that I heard the track and I just got on it. And he was like, great. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody knew what Scratch it was. He couldn't say, could you put in a Scratch like so-and-so from, you know, Pump Up the Jam? You know, no records were scratching in it. So no kind of thing he could say do it like. Right. Which was, that's one thing I'd like to do too is I create like new media. So you can't tell me how I'm supposed to do it. It's like, no, you can't tell me that because this is new. You know how Hollywood likes to try to pigeonhole you and tell you shit like your podcast? They're like, nah, this is a podcast. This ain't a TV show or this ain't the radio. <laughs> you have to be able to call them out on their games. Uh, 
So you just so, you went in there and you basically had he basically told you you know what you're doing so do what you do. Yeah, he just said there you go. This is the song they played it, and I was like, okay, uh, cool. I'm gonna get down on this. <laughs> so what is the process of scratching? The process of scratching back then was first getting the people to understand what you were doing in the recording studio. Like, okay, bro, check it out. This mixer is not that mixer. That's a SSL. This is a new mark or back then it was a GLI. Well, that's not a mixer. Look, man, I don't even want to go into the debate. This is how it starts all the time. <laughs> then you find, so I learned about a guy called the second engineer who didn't think he knew everything. He was the guy I was trying to come up. So I would go to him and say, Hey man, can you hook this up? Yeah. What you got? And he would hook it up. I don't have none of that debate. So I started doing that. They hooked me up. I just started messing around. I do like, I get a kind of vibe and I catch it and just, you know, it's like playing at a club, bro. You do a once and bounce. I'm not going to go, okay, everybody stop dancing. I'm going to start over and play those 52 records again in a different order. Ready? You know what I'm saying? Right. It's over when it's done. <laughs> so, yeah, man. That's, uh, that was a great kind of experience. It probably took me about 45 minutes, man. I never like to hang around stuff like that, too, because it was like being a session musician. You know, you got these famous people. and You know, people. I figure people always like to bug them, so I want to get out of the way. Mm. So you know, somebody else is trying to get a picture. And, hey, let me, hey, Weird Al, you know, I got this album. <laughs> yeah, whatever, bro. I'm, I've done this before, so I'll, I'll see y'all later. I got another <laughs> That's why I love it when I see guys in basketball games dunk the ball and jump up and down like that's the first time they ever did it. And they've been doing it in practice 18 times. It's like, dude, what are you jumping up and down for? Act like you did it. Right. And go. <laughs> Let somebody else jump up and down. You're, you did it. That's why I like guys like Magic and Kobe. They didn't jump up and down. Other people did. And they would just kind of look hard. <laughs> so. Now, what was your reaction when you found out that this was like a 1930s gangster type team that Weird Al was putting together? Or did that not matter at all to you? Nah, I know all about Johnny Dangerously, man. Yeah. I was like, what? I'm all in. What you want? You know, just what I'm doing. So <laughs> we just did it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was really easy to it and didn't take long at all. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, the one thing is, Weird Al is like one of the quietest guys. You wouldn't expect him to be like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking he was going to have jokes every 30 seconds. <laughs> so what I was think, Weird Al like in the studio then? Uh, he was uh, he was very friendly, but more reserved and professional than I would have wanted. I wanted to see him imitate people. Like I wanted to be working with like 17 people, you know, Remember he did I'm Fat after that? Yeah. Yeah. He could have did that for me. Like, you're Michael Jackson? <laughs> so, guys do that. Those things are not new when they do them. He just morphed it into that thing when it became so big. He said, oh, fat will work perfect for this. <laughs> I guarantee you. But, um, yeah, man, I just, I remember being a wonderful experience. One of the probably best times I had in the studio just because of how, simple and easy it was not i never had too many takes and, you know i'll be honest with you too a lot of that stuff was a blur but guys like him i remember i remember q i remember 
Patty Austin, I remember, you know, George Michael, those people I remember, mm-hmm. as well as Weird Al. Now, do you remember how much you made for that that session? How much money? Whatever it was, it was probably like quadruple scale. I charged the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And I went to DJ that night and made the same amount somewhere. Right. <laughs> it was popping back in the 80s. Well, people wanted to scratch on everything. I remember Benny Medina, same thing. Baby. Yeah. Yes, I love the show. You guys are very, very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Is this the yeah. nerdiest interview you've ever done? Oh, by far, no. No? <laughs> yeah, man. I love the nerdy ones, too, because they have the coolest followings, and those people always say really nice things, the, the followers of them. Like, I did one for this group. So I met a group of guys. They, uh, they watch lost and they do like recaps of lost like but lost went off the air like 30 years ago right but they got this <laughs> show and it's so cool because they got their followers they got a lot of people they call them what do they call them i got a nickname for these lost people anyway uh so it was that was the nerdiest one i ever did because <laughs> they live in an alternate universe and they were telling me how i even fell into it was like look man uh they have a character, the main guy, I forgot his name. He was the king of the island at the end. I forgot the chubby guy with the beard. He, uh, I said, well, that guy must have been responsible for hip-hop because he told me that I should be a DJ. You know, I went off. I went back in time on him with some, some of that. They loved it. <laughs> like, oh, so he is DJ Dom, the inventor of hip-hop. I said, yeah, I worked with Dr. Dre. I suggested the sounds from G-Funk. I mean, DJ Dom created G-Funk. <laughs> You know, hey, look, now that was a nerdy interview. It was hilarious. I had a ball. I'm a nerd. So like being home. I was like, yeah, we're going in on these people. They don't know what to believe. Now, uh, just for our audience, what was your connection to Lost? Uh, I had music placed in that show, and they actually are so funny. So I have this song that was placed in there, uh, and the song was called Drinks on Me. And it's a real fun song that this guy does a flashback and he plays it in his Hummer. He buys a new Hummer and he pulls up out the dealership and he's banging this song and he's saying the words to it. And so they identify with that like as a in a defining moment in his life. Hmm. Yes, I said that. And so <laughs> they feel like that is crucial in his development. And so they searched out that song. And when they finally found the name of the song, they couldn't find it anywhere. And so some kind of way, they, it led the guy to me. I had another song that had been placed on there, or my name was in the credit, or some kind of way it was in the place. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, did I know about it? And I was like, you talking about who you with? And he was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so yeah, I wrote that. They didn't know what I did. I said, I wrote it. I, and then I told them who I was. They didn't know who I was. They just emailed me like, you know about this song? You're Chris Taylor? <laughs> yes, I'm Chris Taylor. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> that out to be a blast. I'm still friends with those guys. They're cool as hell. That's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my nerdiest interview <laughs> that I wasn't present at. You know? <laughs> that was like on the phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how do you go from you know scratching on Weird Al's album and and playing in you know these clubs to working with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and and then moving into working on TV and that kind of stuff? What was the transition like for you? Wow, when you said it like that, you made it sound like I did a lot. 
<laughs> you did. Was, you were like, how did you do from there to there? Like, damn, I never even thought of how did I. Wow. So, <laughs> did I do all of that? I went, uh, I was doing hip hop. It was easy. And, um, you know, the thing was, so I had a two-year-old daughter, right? I had just, Dre had just saw Eminem. I had just met him with my daughter. And I was standing there. And he told me, Eminem says to me, um, I'm holding my daughter, Ciara. She was two. And he says, so how you doing, man? I heard all about you. He said, yeah, man, uh, I rap because of you. I said, what? He said, I started rapping because of your song, Reckless. That was the song that got me into rapping. Wow. I said, what? Again, right? I said, what? <laughs> he says, I said. <laughs> and he says again. So my daughter's just playing in my ear and not paying attention. She don't know it's like a landmark moment for hip hop right now. Mm-hmm. And first in real reality and alternate realities combined. And she's like chilling. And I'm like, dude, you just said, you, you know, this guy sold more records than anybody on earth can rap. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. Eminem sold 10 million albums like four times in a row, you know, <laughs> or something. Like right. for real, like seriously. So, you know, that's like Muhammad Ali saying, yo, no, I boxed because of that record you had, Reckless. Like, what? <laughs> Wait, say that again? <laughs> I'm standing there like, did you just say, I don't even know you knew I had a song, Reckless. And, you know, I'm the artist. I see as a feature. And, uh, you know, that people trip off of that. But that's just how I went. The DJ was the guy. It was my record. I asked him to come rap on it. Mm-hmm. I already had the song. It had been placed in the uh, movie. And in other movies, hell, I was in Missing in Action and Dude, when they got their hands on that hip hop, it was the only hip hop they had for Canon Films for like four years. <laughs> <laughs> All these like seventeen films and thirteen documentaries, eleven places uh, and home videos, and one partridge in a pear tree. It was crazy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but nah, the uh, it was really to go from doing hip hop to go to television. It was just a career change, man. I was tired of doing hip hop. It was. Like it is now, it was the same, bleh, whatever, not created. And then I had this brain surgery, right? So I had this thing called a cavernous angioma, which is like a bleed on your brain, not a stroke, but like it was in a center in my communication center. So they said that wow. before they did the surgery, the best I could hope for was never being able to communicate again. Whoa. <laughs> wow. The best I was going to have to hope for. And uh, But then they did, this other company comes in and says, we're going to do this brain mapping. It was an experimental surgery they did. They mapped the brain, found the exact spot to go in, and uh, they did it for free. Wow. So it was like 300 and some thousand. They were like, whoa, we'll do it. If you <laughs> let us video you and this and that, I was like, where do I sign video? <laughs> we can video to all our songs anyway, bro. The hell yeah, we can shoot a video of this. So, you know, he, uh, it was such a trip. I was on uh, Dateline with this. Dateline NBC's doing the show. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had this uh, cavernous angioma and this uh, brain mapping. And it killed this experimental brain mapping. Some guys didn't really have it in Chile, and they killed 30 people with it. Like, they killed them. They melted their brains or something. Like claiming they could do it, but they couldn't? They didn't. They were trained. They were doing it, and they were doing it wrong. Whoa. Like, it was like x-ray only, you know, in the brain focused. Like, you got to be careful. (laughs) so they weren't really good at it or something and all those people died after mine right (laughs) 
Wow. So it was like, whoa, that was dangerous what I did, huh? <laughs> I didn't realize that. I was in there like, go. Like, let's get this done. I got to get back to the studio. So then when I went through that, I stopped working. And hip-hop is a thing like playing basketball. If you kind of get out of it, you got to go regroup and kind of get back. So I went into television music because it was like a boot camp for me. Like, I went on a television show that needed all kind of different music and they were making this whack attempt at hip-hop whenever on tv these black shows had this terrible version of black music like you know people that weren't black were making it <laughs> which is probably what was happening right. so i met this guy who was black but he made music like he wasn't black so he had to hire guys like me who made it so i came from the real hip-hop side i wasn't most of those guys in television and stuff they grow up in there even if they do music they do that they don't make records and be you know hip-hop big artists and all that and then go into that this doesn't happen like that these guys just kind of followed my suit timberland and those guys and they started doing empire and timberland and i was doing half of that music uh, as a ghost i would write like drum beats like send them splits for like I send like 10 different splits drum beats and they can take them and layer them and, mm -hmm. and put whatever they want over them you know you think these guys are making stuff up they're hiring guys like me that are specialists at it you know like there's a term that producers have like I'm in my bag that's like you know a doctor going in his bag and I always say you know they reach in that bag and I'm in there already <laughs> you know because <laughs> most of them guys use my tools you know what I mean they, I'm in those bags Dre says it. I'm like, yeah, you you in your bag. Yeah, you just pulled me out. Cats can't pull me out of their bag. Like, you're a dope producer, then you can pull me out? Like, hey, this is my guy, too. Bam! Hit your side to head with me and all the guys he got. Yeah, I love it. That's power. <laughs> so I met Dre, you know, at my home, just like the other thing. They named me. Dre showed up at my house with my boy Dave Jaquette. He brought him over like, hey. Uh, you said you wanted to meet Dre. Here, I met Dre. Here he is. <laughs> and it was like weird, too, because they was in the NWA, so it was like they were hard to get to. Here he is. I'm taking trash out. This dude's standing in my driveway with a brand new vet. <laughs> it's Dre. Brand new vet. <laughs> and I don't want to be. I'm like, so he goes to tell me he wants to have someone work with him that he can depend on and can get things started for him and he can come in and finish them. I was like, that's me, I'm your guy. You know, I'll go in there and get it going. Because, you know, I knew things, like I, he didn't, uh, so I asked him how he recorded uh, the NWA records and stuff, and he said that he had done those, this place in uh, in uh, Torrance called Audio Achievements. And I knew that they didn't have, their equipment was like the 60s equipment, like not even, not mm -hmm. No, no. You ever heard a term automation? That means you can have stuff move by itself, yeah. basically. Right. So they had he had no clue of what that was. So, like back in the day, when you have a song and you need the part to break down to like the drum part, you have like six guys in the band and an engineer right there, all sitting at the board. If you ever seen a recording desk, it's got all these levers and knobs, and everybody got one knob or lever they got to move at the same time. And one guy always messes up, and he got to do it again 15 times. <laughs> but basically, that's how he did it. Now, me, I learned about automation, and I was using, uh, if I was using SSL, I had uh, 
Ultimation, which had flying faders. So I'm one guy. I can make all of my stuff go out. I said, Drake, let me show you an SSL. I'm going to teach you something. <laughs> he never looked back. <laughs> he actually rented the studio I showed him first for Death Row for three years. The first place I showed him was Can-Am, and he was like, I'll take it. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, I bring that kind of stuff to the game. Like, oh, I'm like, I like to say I'm Spock because, like, you're going to, you got a great person who was a commander and whatever, and I'm an alien. <laughs> I got the fucking neck grip, too, homeboy, if you need it. Like, I'm your first officer. Everybody got a first officer, but everybody's ain't an alien. <laughs> you guys don't know what Star Trek is. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we know what Star Trek is, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> now, how did you end up working with Snoop Dogg on Doggy Style? So, uh, funny story. So, I'm working with Dre, right? Drake come to my house, and he said, okay, I'm going to sign you up, and I've been with him ever since, right? So, we finish up his record, we're going on tour, we're running around with the Chronic. And they say, we want a Snoop Dogg album. And we're like, okay. So we started kind of messing around on the road. We got a tour bus. Um, our two tour buses, three diesels. One of the diesels is uh, Westwood One, which is a 48-track SSL room and a diesel. So we took that with us on tour to write songs. We never used that damn studio. We was too busy chasing bras. Uh, <laughs> songs in that damn thing. Let me tell you. So we get back to L.A. Jimmy done spent a million bucks on the on the studio. He's like, "Where's my record?" So he's like, "Glove, we gotta go in the studio and make this album." <laughs> so we go, we start on the record and we smash through it. And it was like, so I was just with Dre. So it was whatever the next project is. That's how I ended up with Snoop. Mm -hmm. But you know, Snoop, Dre and I had a Dre had a bachelor party that was part mine as well. My first time I got married, and uh, we kind of shared it a, a little bit kind of weird way but it was like a joint but not bachelor party like he had his in the dope area with the suite and the strippers and i was outside like with my homies and friends in the lobby area with like a dancer <laughs> <laughs> it is. look i went to go into the main room and the dude one security big bruce was like you can't even come in here i was like bro this is my party he's like i don't care i'm like bruce i'm gonna f you up excuse my language but um anyway <laughs> I had to drop that one. Anyway, uh, you know, I just... So, uh, Snoop, that's where we met him. He hops up on a table, starts rapping. RNG brought him to the party. Me and Dre look at each other like, damn, this dude is dope. I mean, he rapped on and on and on. He didn't stop until somebody just said, stop rapping. <laughs> you know, he just was going. Every record that came on. Any speed, slow, fast, and he sounded so cool. We kept thinking, sound like he's from the south. And from here, we got somebody who sounded like they're from the south because that was the thing we were into. That was neck, which it was without casting all them dudes came. And we were saying, yeah, man, we need that. And uh, that's how I started working with Snoop. And it's funny because uh, the Gin and Juice video, you know that song, Gin and Juice? Of course, yeah. Sure, yeah. That video, I live in that house where that video was shot. Wow, <laughs> that's my house. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was my childhood house. I still live in the house, you know. Wow. 
<laughs> so if you go watch Gin and Juice, you will see where I'm standing right now talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> you can pull the video up right now. And you can see the front of my house when they run out at the end and in the inside when they come in, it's like home alone. They have a party, you know, the whole thing. And I used to have those parties. That's why they did it. So this is the funny story on that. My buddy Ben Basmore shot that video. They were trying to shoot it in another rival gang area. And somebody shot into the house. So they had to cancel it. They're like, damn, we got to shoot this video and we don't have a house. Meanwhile, my mom had just moved to Atlanta like that day. So wow. like, bye, honey, and left. <laughs> and be there for a year. So contrary to most people that don't know, I checked in with my mom. I was like, ma, they ain't shoot this video. Can I rent the house? She was like, yeah, you got to make a printout and go let all the neighbors know with leaflets, and then you'll be okay. So she told me what to do. So I came back and was like, man, I wonder if we could have it here. And he was like, yeah, that's a great idea. We could make we could make this house kind of look like the hood. I was like, yeah, whatever, bro. We can do it here? Cool. <laughs> How much? It was like 1500 a day. Cool. Let's do it. So we shot that sucker at my house. My mom was like, that's rent for two months, baby. Here you go. So I was like, cool. <laughs> we hustled that money up real quick right out of the gin and juice video. And to this day, nobody even knows. They just like, you know, think it was some kind of, oh, how did you get in? Please, man. That was that was another thing that just walked in my hands. Like, hey, you want to shoot a video? Yeah, okay. Let me let me not ask my mom since I'm supposed to be a hard hip hop producer. I'm just going to say, yeah, you can do it. And I'm going to check in to make sure I don't get my ass kicked out. Like, hey, no. <laughs> I'm in a million dollar house, right? I'm not getting put out of this. I'm getting chicks and everything. Nah, -uh. Mama said it's cool too. I can do anything I want. Let me just check. You know, I'm not gonna screw this up for no little money. Is not the object because I got the house and I'm in Ladera Heights. If y'all knew what that was, y'all be like, bro, uh, you still got that house? We got some over there now. <laughs> uh, you got some podcast from here at the Gin and Juice House live the Weird Al <laughs> mm. sitting in front of the little director's chairs <laughs> yeah, please come through that's another guy they used to come flee uh, Eddie body count them guys all used to hang out at radio all of them it was a very cool situation over there. so great now have you heard any of Al's hip hop songs he, he does the parody of Eminem's Lose Yourself. Of <laughs> no, I never heard that. <laughs> it's called Couch <laughs> Potato. <laughs> it's and then he does the take on Riding Dirty with White and Nerdy. So you haven't heard either of those? <laughs> oh no, I need those man. Oh man. That's dope. <laughs> I'll send them to you. <laughs> Weird Al is dope, bro. I gotta admit. I like that. <laughs> White and dirty. I'm white and dirty. Oh yeah, I can get that one. I bet you that's freaking hilarious. It is. It is. Uh, it's, man, he still makes records. He's yeah. Still the crazy stuff. Yeah. He's still as relevant as ever. Yeah. Absolutely. Man, dude, I love that man. Weird Al. Shout out to Weird Al. Thanks for letting me be part of your history, homeboy. Yeah, man, I got a little bit of everybody going. You really do. I mean, the the breadth of your career is just amazing. You know, literally these top names in hip hop, but then also the number one comedy recording artist of all time. Yeah, right. Weird Al. <laughs> And it's always a cameo. It's not just like I'm on the record. It's like I'm on the record as me. Right. 
Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Like in that movie, it was like, oh, that guy's playing a DJ. Nah, that's a DJ playing himself. Right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> that's different. You get credit and all that. So yeah, you get different kind of salary. Glove, you got to tell us about the record shop on Sunset every Friday. Oh man, so. We have a thing in L.A. I do. Okay, so I have a group called La Liga, which is a secret organization that's going to help save the world and heal the world Great. with music and everything else. And my members are Sophia, Miss Fortune Fortuna, and J. Rowe, who is Dr. Robinson. He was in a group called The Alcoholics. Actually, still is in the group, rap group. So we have these alternate egos. I'm Thomas Crown. She's Miss Fortune, and he is... Dr. Robinson, who is like the most interesting man in the world with a hat. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we have this, uh, we came with this concept to, uh, I wanted to have a place in LA where, you know, the LA hip hop actually lived. Like you could walk in there and see it. And so my buddies, uh, Mike and uh, Rick, shout out to Delicious, the Ross brothers. They have uh, two locations, one on Adams and one on Sunset. The one on Sunset is where I run on Fridays. Mm-hmm. and uh, it's a pizza spot, and those two delicious pizzas were off of their delicious records. So the record shop is actually inside of Delicious Pizza on Friday night. Whoa. And we're going to have a wow. festival, and so you never know who's there. Like, my friends come, Egyptian Lover, DJ Battlecat, Grandmaster Flash, uh, Biz Markey, whoever's in town, they fall through, and we got guys like, you know, uh, LL Cool J, you know, all of these people, they just... You know, I mean, I actually donated some of my platinum plaques. They hang them on the walls there, so my stuff is there. That's so cool. And that yeah. you listen to to music and eat pizza. It sounds like. Oh man, and meet legendary DJs and producers and <laughs> artists. Too. Hey, how you doing? How you like this pizza? It's good. And, 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 and you know, we have an outdoor area, and it's California, so I'll just leave the rest of your. It's outdoor, right? And it's California. Right. And everything's legal yeah. here. <laughs> so, we have a great time. I fly drones back there. It's pretty fun. Got roller girls delivering pizza now for social distancing on skates. I'm putting a team together. You know, I figure you got to have something happening, man. You need a place. L.A. needs to be alive somewhere. Where do I find L.A.? Right. Where do I find hip-hop in L.A.? Can I go somewhere and take pictures of guys? Like, you know, tourists be wondering that. Like, where is it? I gotta go to Crenshaw. I gotta go to Compton. They want to go to Compton looking for NWA. Right. They're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to Compton. Everybody, li- Don't go to Compton when you come to Los Angeles. Okay. I I actually went to Compton. Not see. Not on purpose. Uh, Compton is right next door to Linwood, which is where Weird Al grew up, and I went there to check oh, it out. Oh, damn, he's from Linwood. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You guys can go to Compton, because Linwood is right next door. Okay. He didn't spend too much time in Compton, but he knew it. Yeah. So that's Compton over there, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> that's how the Linwood guys are, and, and, and uh, Gardena. That's Compton over there. Yeah. <laughs> they don't go, though. None of us. We stay out of Compton. Yeah. Me, I'm a West L.A. guy. Yeah. <laughs> Weird Al's from Linwood. That's so cool. Did he go to Linwood High too? Yeah. Oh yeah, he did. That's dope, man. <laughs> Shout out to Weird Al. He's local like me. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yankovic. Is that his real name? I got some questions for Al. <laughs> Yankovic. No, no H at the end there. Yankovic. Yes. 
Yankee. That's how you say it. All these years, I've been putting the itch on it. <laughs> it's a common mistake. Go back in time and change that. <laughs> I can fix that. You guys ever heard of the Mandela effect? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Then, if you have, <laughs> you know how much of a deep dive that one is. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, man, you guys, how often is your show on? Uh, so we do a, a weekly podcast every single week. We put out a brand new episode. You know, you can promote your own show too. You know, <laughs> well, if they're listening to this, they already know how to find us. <laughs> yeah, don't just, hey, listen, we are. You won't be afraid to tell them, bro. You on the air? Everybody does that. They get on the radio and forget to get their own show. <laughs> now I get up there. If you listen to the record shop, you're gonna hear it on Dash Radio every record. The record shop is <laughs> Inside Delicious Pizza, every Friday. <laughs> We're branded, man. I'm not playing. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we don't play. We we, uh, we we promote the crap out of our own show, on our own show. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you guys do. You got Weird Al, man. You better pop. <laughs> so I got to ask you, if Weird Al contacted you again, would you go do some more scratching on another one of his songs? Well, when he contacted me, all I did was scratch. Now I'm a mixer, producer, engineer, keyboard player. I play. Uh, I can produce any type of music. If he were to call me, he need me to be executive producer. And then, yes, I would do it. Uh, <laughs> I'd handle all the music stuff for him, make sure it sounded right. You know, I mean, we have a record that I mixed with Dre that's in the Library of Congress. So I feel like I could say, hey, we're Al Yankovic. <laughs> I'm going to mix this record. And he's going to say, you mix this record, Glove. <laughs> <laughs> you let him know I'm down to help him in any form, even scratching records. <laughs> yep, and I still work with all the same people that I've worked with before. I still work with Dre almost daily. I still work with Ice-T. I mean, we're friends, so we talk. We don't, we never really, we're all like kind of friends. We never really work together. We just all kind of made music. Right. You yeah, know, that's so cool. Kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So that part was very, very. I mean, if it was records, it went from DJing to parties to being in the studio parties. To, it's always a party. Like I started this thing years ago, Saturday culture. Every day Saturday, there's no other day. You know, <laughs> every it's Saturday right now. And then people say, "Well, it's Monday." I say, "Well, look, in here is Saturday. Out there." <laughs> It could be whatever day you want, but when you buy me, people can't argue with you then. Well, Glove, we can follow you and your adventures and, and learn more about Delicious Vinyl and the record shop by heading to Chris the Glove on Instagram and Twitter, and then DJ Chris the Glove on Facebook. How awesome! I mean, how many amazing things mm -hmm. you've done in such a short amount of time. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hey, I got a buddy that made a billion dollars in less than 20 years. Ask me how he did it. <laughs> how did your buddy make a billion dollars in less than 20 years? We could all use that secret. For real, right? I'm still I'm still finding out parts of it. I mean, you know, he's down to 800 million right now, but I mean, okay. <laughs> what can you buy with eight, a billion that you can't buy with 800 million? Except for more headache. <laughs> so I watched this dude become a billionaire. I'm sitting there going, this guy's billionaire where's mine <laughs> so hey i'm still in the game i'm shooting for mine me and we're out yankovic are gonna get our billions too and so are you guys 
<laughs> one day. <laughs> Hopefully same day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, guys. I love it, man. I appreciate you guys so much for even calling me. Thank you so much, Glove. What an awesome guest. That was really, really cool. You know, the funny thing is that Glove said he only spent about 45 minutes in the studio with Al, and we spent more time on the phone talking to him than he spent with Al. (laughs) How incredible. (laughs) After the interview, I rushed to watch the Gin and Juice video. I'd never seen it before. Yeah, I did the same thing. Right after the interview ended, I went and watched the Gin and Juice video. I had seen it before, but I had to refresh my memory on exactly what the house looked like in the music video. (laughs) I don't know what I was expecting, but I now know what (laughs) house Glove was standing in while he was talking to us. (laughs) And I thought the video was great. I, you know, I've always enjoyed Snoop Dogg's music and I think he's a cool guy. So that's really an awesome story. Now, him and Al's music career only overlapped for about six seconds. (laughs) But I was thinking about what Glove said and bear with me on this one because it's a little bit out there. But not only did Glove inspire Michael Jackson and Eminem, I think it's fair to say that he was at least partially responsible for their success and careers as well. I see where you're going with this, Dave. All right. So now eat it is, of course, a parody of Michael Jackson's Beat It. And we all know that that was the song that really put Al on the map. And if he hadn't done Eat It, it's likely he would not have done Fat either. And without those two mega successful songs, Al might not have felt the pressure to parody Michael Jackson a third time, which we all know got denied, which eventually led him to write Smells Like Nirvana, which then kickstarted his career again, allowing him to write Couch Potato a few years later. So in some weird way, we could argue that Glove is partially responsible for Weird Al's career, and without Glove, we might not have had Weird Al as we know and love him today. And without knowing and loving Weird Al as we know him today, we wouldn't have Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. And without Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, our podcast wouldn't be brought to you in part by vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped in a quesadilla Burrito Burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito your Burrito Burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com and at burritosquared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a Burrito Burrito Burrito, but every Burrito 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 can be Burrito Burritoed. You know, each and every week we can bring you this podcast absolutely free thanks to sponsors like Burrito Burrito, Angel Valenzuela and his son David Cash, Jackson Scoggins, and all of our amazing Patreon supporters like Kenneth, Jeff, and so many more. Revenue from our incredible supporters on Patreon.com slash 2000 inches, how we can afford to continue to do what we love, which is making fantastically fun, funny, and family-friendly Weird Al podcasts for you each and every week. We'd absolutely appreciate your consideration in joining our heroic Patreon family for as little as $1 per month. This month, we are rewarding loyal supporters with exclusive Garbage Pal Kids Style Al Sticker, a cool Spatula City Records magnet and sticker, plus more new podcast stickers and a frameable postcard. Today, September 30th, is your last day for this set of exclusive perks. If you're listening late and you missed out, 
not to worry there's more great stuff coming soon as we will be rewarding loyal patreon patrons with acrylic podcast ornaments later this year Another way to support the podcast is to pick up and wear merchandise from the official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast shop. Head on over to shop.2000inch.com for t-shirts, bags, mugs, and so much more. Plus, you can join our awesome fans who recently received their official Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al podcast merchandise and showed it off on our Ice Cream Social. Listeners who joined our Ice Cream Social got to see UH Jeff's pink Gil and Chillo, Dana's green logo shirt, and Ethan's mom's fanny pack. Find us online at weirdalpodcast.com or 2000inch.com and please join our Facebook group by heading to group.2000inch.com if you've not already for episode discussions and other exclusive posts. Don't forget to tag Weird Al or podcast related posts on social media using hashtag 2000inch and hashtag Gill and Chill and follow at 2000inch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure to share our posts, tell your friends about the podcast, and we absolutely love it when you leave us voice messages on our 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline, 347 Spatula. You might even hear your message on the air. The 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, is sponsored by Angel Valenzuela and David Cash, two amazing Weird Al fans and podcast supporters. You already know where to find us if you're listening to this right now, but do yourselves a favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Amazon Music and or the podcast app of your choice and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss our new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks once again to The Glove and all of our listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters and sponsors and everyone who made this episode and podcast possible. Oh, and without The Glove, we wouldn't have had a guest for this week. And without The Glove indirectly influencing Weird Al's entire career, I would not have had the plumbing song to sing while I fixed my drain. It was clogging, clogging right before this podcast. Dave, I sure I wish I could lend you a hand, but plumbing's one thing I don't understand. It's true. Haven't got a clue. If hairballs, grease, and goo won't let the water through, blame it on the drain. Yeah, yeah. That was Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al Podcast, episode 74 Inch. Shout out to Weird Al. Thanks for letting me be part of your history, homeboy.